This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I tend to take it day by day and I don't want to leave your listeners with the view that it's about responding to things as they come up. But... We have a, a coordinated plan on the economy. It's working. We're leading the country in economic growth. We've got the largest private sector investment ever in the history of Canada coming to the north of British Columbia, which will lead to billions of dollars of revenue to provide for the good society that people want, to put money into health and education, building infrastructure, addressing the Massey Tunnel. All of those issues are easier to do when you've got significant private sector investment. So we have the lowest unemployment in the country, have had for 15 consecutive months, and there's no sign of that ending in the short term. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Welcome to another edition of In the House. Time to talk BC politics. Merry Christmas to you. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas to you, Rob. You're probably listening to this podcast in the car at the lineup at the mall on Boxing Day. Do people still line up at the mall on Boxing Day? Uh, to take back the stuff they didn't, they did actually <laughs> didn't want to get. That's right. But Merry <laughs> Christmas to you all. We have a great uh, edition for you this week with Premier John Horgan. Sat down with him, did a year-end interview. Smitty, I know you talked to him as yep. well. Uh, you heard off the top uh, the Premier mentioning the great economic condition of British Columbia, low unemployment, great investment, the LNG Canada project, the largest private sector project in Canada's history. Seems pretty happy with where he is right now. You know, I think the NDP are fortunate that they got into power here inheriting a whole bunch of balanced budgets in a row and a pretty good pretty good economy. Like if you look at the BC economy relative to the rest of Canada, BC's looking pretty darn good right now and you heard him there talk about delivering that LNG plant remember when they were calling LNG Christy Clark's fantasy and it was all pie in the sky and they were mocking Clark for saying this the streets are going to be paved with gold it just shows you you know the the ironic way that politics can work especially in this province things can flip around pretty easily and it was Horgan who got to deliver this big LNG plant now he was never the NDP were never against LNG in principle they were against a, a couple of the specific proposals that came forward because of where they were located and their and their effect on on migrating salmon and that kind of thing. They always kept saying, "Look, we're in favor of the business in principle, and we hope it we hope it comes true." And lo and behold, he delivers this massive plant. You know, the liberals were fuming a little bit when that happened. They're gnashing their teeth that they didn't get it across the finish line themselves, especially after all the promises they made about it. And it's Horgan is the guy who delivered it. But yeah, I mean, I think Horgan's and the economy, he's pretty pleased with where he's at right now. Yeah. And the, and the thing to remember about John Horgan is he worked in the 1990s uh, NDP government on energy policy. And 
increasing, um, you know, the production of natural gas in, in the provinces northeast. And the idea now of being able to export that in a liquefied format to countries in Asia that need it is right in his wheelhouse. And, and we often, I think, confuse the New Democrats for being too focused on the environment now, especially with their partnership with the Greens. But this old uh, energy gas production um, project that John Horgan has is classic John Horgan, I think. It's right in his wheelhouse from the old hard hat wearing side of the NDP, which is what he is. That's for sure. But there's also some irony here, too, because they were very critical of the liberals for giving away the store. Remember Mm -hmm. when they criticized Christy Clark? They they said that the, the tax incentives that the liberals brought in to attract this industry to B.C. were too generous. They basically said the taxes were too low that the Liberals brought in. This guy got in and he sweetened the deal even more. Yep, $5 billion tax breaks. Yeah, Unbelievable. So it just shows you the way politics can work around it. You know, some, sometimes what comes around goes around, and sometimes you end up uh, maybe eating your words a little bit, but it all depends on who gets the political credit for this thing. And I, I think the, the NDP are thrilled that this project got approved on their watch, yeah. even though the Liberals did a lot of the heavy lifting on it. But... You know, that's good for Horgan, and the economy's doing pretty good. I think I think Horgan and the NDP are pretty pleased where they're at right now. Yeah, and speaking of complicated politics, and you look at the issue of Surrey. And yeah. uh, in the last election, Surrey was uh, incredibly important to the success of the NDP. They, they flipped uh, some seats there. They knocked off a couple liberal cabinet ministers. Uh, it is tied into... That power base is tied into many of the problems the NDP have now on issues like ride-hailing in the taxi industry and what to do about... Uh, the SkyTrain and the transit expansion issues in Surrey. And we see from the municipal election outcome this year a shift in Surrey's transit plans. Doug McCallum, the new mayor, wants SkyTrain. He does not want light rail, which had been the plan that the mayors had approved and John Horgan had promised to pump a bunch more cash into, up to 40% uh, of uh, the share. So we asked John Horgan a bit about that and this idea that According to Doug McCallum, you can build the whole SkyTrain route all the way into Langley for the $1.6 billion that LRT was going to cost. But according to TransLink, you can only really get probably about half that way for that budget. (laughs) So there's about a billion dollars missing, according to TransLink. And the question to the Premier is, is Surrey and the mayors of the metro region going to turn around with their hand out and say, can we get some more cash from you to to finish this SkyTrain project? And let's hear what he has to say about that. On uh, TransLink's plan for rapid transit in the region, we need the mayors to have their act together. We will fund, the Prime Minister and I agreed, we will fund to the extent we have Phase 2, regardless of what mechanism they choose. LRT, SkyTrain, that's up to them. But there are going to be consequences if we change the plan that was funded and ready to go uh, because of the change in, in government in Surrey. I don't want to disrespect Mr. McCallum. He's entitled to run on whatever he wants to run on, but he also has to be accountable for any delays that come as a result of this. It will not be acceptable to me if he turns around and says it's all the province's fault because we had a plan fully funded, ready to go, supported by the previous council and the one before that in Surrey. So if they want to change, I'm fine with that. But you need to get your act together pretty quickly if you want to see shovels in the ground. Seems pretty likely they're going to turn around and say we need more money. Well, and, and that's just not on, man. I mean, we, we, we agreed to increase provincial funding from 33% to 40%. The federal government followed suit. So the two orders of government, federal and provincial, are doing what they can to provide more money to get this going. If, if Mr. McCallum wants to raise taxes in Surrey to fill the gap, 
he's welcome to. And I, and I don't think the people of Surrey will in, embrace that. But that's the only way there's going to be more money. It's going to come out of his pocket, not out of the federal or provincial pie. So there's no more money from the province? Well, not for, for phase two. No, not but, for phase but, two. But for a sort of SkyTrain project. That well, the mayor's if approves. they want to do SkyTrain, I'm good with that. But it won't go as far. It's as simple as that. You won't get as many kilometers done. With the money that's on the table. With the money that's on the table. there's no more provincial money on the table. Well, I I just don't know if you can continue to have a plan where everybody's doing the trading back and forth, which happened at the mayor's table. I, as a Vancouver Island born and bred premier, need to take guidance and direction from the municipal governments in the lower mainland. I'm happy to do that. And I'm happy to take guidance from Mayor McCallum and his council. But they have to understand that they can't just come rolling into Dodge and say, I want another billion dollars or I'm going to hold my breath. I mean, that's not going to help anybody. Okay. Basically saying to Doug McCallum, talk to the hand. I'm not giving you any more money. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. No, it's an interesting position for the NDP to take, I think, because one of the questions coming out of the municipal election was, the people who supported Doug McCallum for mayor of Surrey and his slate, how many of those people were New Democrat voters in the last election? What What is the dynamic going on in Surrey, and do the NDP at their peril ignore what Doug McCallum is selling? Uh, and yeah. I don't know if the NDP have figured that out yet, but I do know there's a federal election coming up, and I'm not sure what you think, Smitty, but it's possible that... Horgan says all of these things about not giving more money to the SkyTrain plan for Surrey, and then the feds show up with some yeah. more money right in a federal election, and BC ends up matching that, and uh, and everyone's happy in the end. I think Surrey. you're I think you're reading Doug McCallum's mind there because <laughs> I, I think that's probably precisely what he's got in mind. And in fact, in in my discussions with McCallum, he's brought up that precise point that you know this is perfect timing politically mm-hmm. for him to transition to a skytrain project because he knows there's a federal election next year the these seats in surrey are not only critical provincially but they're also very important federally like you know justin trudeau and the liberals really want to hang on to the gains that they made in bc so trudeau and the federal liberals could be ripe for the plucking here if they come in and say hey we'll help you out with you build help you build your skytrain line here's some money let's cut a ribbon right now for the for the cameras do a photo op so i think maybe uh mccallum is is thinking that way a lot of people have pointed a finger at mccallum saying like you know a lot of this stuff you've been saying is a bunch of baloney like when when you went out in the municipal election and said that you could build this skytrain line for the same price tag as a, as an LRT line, a light rail transit line, it's like come on. I mean, SkyTrain is is a is just a bigger, heavier system. A lot of it built on elevated platforms. It's a very expensive construction process. You know, you're you're whistling Dixie here if you think it's going to be the same price. And he just kept saying, "No, I was I was the former chair of TransLink. I know what I'm talking about. We can do it." The fact is, he won, right? Mm-hmm. And and his slate won a big majority on that uh, on that council. So here he is. Here's McCallum now, or, or Horgan now, telling McCallum, "I'm not going to give you any more money for this SkyTrain system." And I, I just kind of wonder why. Like, I wonder if Horgan is maybe trying to inoculate himself against any criticism that could come his way later, because McCallum, if McCallum can't deliver this, like he promised to the people of Surrey, their SkyTrain, does he then turn around and try to blame it on Horgan that it's John Horgan's fault because he wouldn't cooperate with us, and maybe Horgan's worried about that. And maybe that's why he's taking this hard line and talking tough against McCallum. But I also wonder if it creates a political opening for the Liberals. Like, is does Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, come into Surrey knowing that there's a lot of these very closely contested swing seats where an election can be won, won or lost in this city and come in there and say, 
you know, John Horgan doesn't want to give you your SkyTrain. Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm here to work with you to make this happen. Do you think there do you think there's a possibility of that? You know, that did come up briefly in the Liberal leadership race. And I remember Mike Dion uh, was the one uh, candidate who was pretty vocal in saying we need SkyTrain all the way out. <laughs> in fact, he had a, a longer vision for SkyTrain. <clears throat> but, um, you know, you, you heard mostly from the Liberals that, oh, well, listen to the local mayors and work with them. And yeah. it's kind of what you're hearing from Horgan now. So it's possible that becomes a wedge issue. It's hard to overstate yeah. how important Surrey is. It has There's more seats in Surrey than there are in the northern half of British Columbia. So yeah. if you can capture the hearts and minds of Surrey voters, you go a long way to winning Metro Vancouver, which goes a long way to winning, um, you know, a majority government that's or right. flipping the power dynamic here when you only have one or two seats different. So I think that's why we've seen such slow movement on ride hailing that, you know, the the fear the NDP are going to tick off the traditional taxi industry, which has a large power base in Surrey. Yeah. So everyone is kind of stepping on on eggshells. They're kind of trying to get around the issue. But Doug McCallum captured uh, an incredible support in Surrey in the municipal election. And John Horgan, I think, at his peril, uh, kind of goes up against that wave right now. I think so. That's why I was a little surprised to hear the tone of uh, of. Horgan's comments going out, picking this fight with McCallum here, but but, but let's say um, let, let's say Ottawa does kick in yeah. five hundred million dollars more, right? And I'm five hundred million dollars on the capital plan for the BC government is not that much. If they if it, if that's the extra billion dollars that that Surrey needs, and half comes from Ottawa and half comes from from BC, I think Horgan will find a way to do it. Maybe five, he'll change his mind. Yeah. I, I said to him the other day. Um, what happens if Wilkinson goes in there and and plays the Trump card and says I'm going to build the SkyTrain for you that Horgan doesn't want. And you could tell that Horgan's already rehearsing his comeback lines because he turned around and said, well, if he does that, I'll turn around and say, I canceled the bridge tolls in Surrey <laughs> that you put on there. I'm building the schools in Surrey that you failed to build. We are now planning to build another hospital in Surrey. I mean, it's outrageous that this, a city the size of Surrey only has one hospital. And this has been a sore point for guys like McCallum and many other people there for a long time. Now, the, this government has not said, come out and promise to build another hospital. But you already see Horgan saying, at least we're planning. We're mm -hmm. talking about maybe building another hospital. So you can, you can see that he's already kind of anticipating that this the SkyTrain thing becomes a bit of a political flashpoint in Surrey, and he's trying to already rehearsing his lines to defend the record of, of what they've done in the city of Surrey. So isn't it be amazing? One to watch. Isn't it amazing we're still, you know, stuck with the SkyTrain technology when Glenn Clark made that decision in the '90s and built the first SkyTrain lines and out through NDP ridings. I remember you covered that back in the back in the day, Smitty. But we're sort of because those steps were taken, um, we there's still a feeling out there that if you're going to expand the system, you need to stick with SkyTrain. People don't want to get off SkyTrain and transfer to some other station and get on LRT. Yeah, right. So those decisions made many years ago mean we're, in some people's minds, we're stuck with more expensive technology that is older and, you know, comes with often the big concrete underpinnings and the shadows cast across the ground and built up on an elevated perch and, but but that is the system that Vancouver has built, and, and when you want to keep like people it. on it, you expand it. Yeah, and a lot of people like riding the SkyTrain, and they, they think it's a comfortable, efficient system. Um, typically, sometimes sometimes there are problems with it, but uh, I think McCallum, one of the reasons that he's mayor, is that he was able to capitalize on that and, and play the sort of play into the perception that a lot of people have that Surrey always gets the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. You know that the city of Vancouver will get a fancy. Uh, 
high-speed transit system like a SkyTrain system, but Surrey is going to get stuck with basically a streetcar, an LRT <laughs> system. So I think he played into that, and I think it's one of the reasons he ended up in the mayor's chair. Yeah. We also talked to John Horgan about... Uh, the idea of working with the Greens. If you listen to last week's podcast, which is available if you if you missed it, we heard Andrew Weaver, the Green leader, say there was a low point in the year on the issue of LNG and John Horgan going on a trade mission on LNG to Asia, the idea of Site C, which the Greens opposed, the NDP built anyways, and then the climate plan, which we just had at the end of the year, that uses the power from Site C to accommodate for the emissions of LNG, much to the consternation of the Greens, and how that all kind of, that dynamic worked out over the year from a low point to a high point. Here's what John Horgan has to say about that. We have low CO2 content gas in the north north of British Columbia in abundance. Uh, a lot of investments already happened there. It made sense to proceed. Mr. Weaver disagrees with that, and he's un, he makes no bones about it in our personal conversations or his public comments, so I respect that. But he said if you can fit it in the plan... I will still not like it, but it's not going to be the end of our government together. And so we work together to get that plan out, and I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of all the work we've done to bring on things like uh, child care, to fully fund uh, the needs of our education system, and to make sure we're reducing wait times. All of those things that all governments should be focused on, we've been, we've been doing that as well. Is it a stressful relationship with the Greens? I mean, some days it seems like, oh, they're upset about something. Yeah. And then other days, like right now, it would seem like you have a great relationship. It's going here. really well. Yeah. Is, it, is, that, is that difficult for you as a the leader of a government to have these ups and downs during the year? Uh, people often ask me, Rob, you know, I'm sure you wish you had a majority government. And, and of course, it's easier that way. Ask anyone who's running a majority government and they'll tell you that. But I believe that I have to work harder. My ministers and my colleagues have to be more focused on cooperation and finding common ground than a majority will do. And having spent a long time in opposition where the government just rolled over top of you, whether you had a good idea or not, and that's not from a left-right perspective, it's ideas that would percolate up from my constituency. Good people that happened to live in an area that was represented by an orange flag, uh, they were disregarded because of where they came from. That's why I'm so passionate about proportional representation. And I believe that because of my desire to make things work, Andrew and I, although we disagree on many issues, we have a shared set of values that we we come back to whenever we're in that difficult moment and say, okay, let's park that issue for a minute and go back to the things that we agree on. And it's worked for both of us. He is continuing to be uh, who he is, and uh, he ain't going to change, and nor am I. But both of us have changed in as much as we recognize that this is a unique opportunity in BC's history to get a lot of stuff done by working together. And I think that's good for people. It's good for BC. So you heard me kind of quiz him there about, uh, well, isn't it difficult working with the Greens? And he said, I, he said basically, you know, people ask him, don't you wish you had ultimate power of the majority government? Right. And that would be easier. But he feels like this healthy kind of tension, is, it, it, which is exactly what the Greens say, is leading to maybe a little bit better policy having to get pushed along the way, which is certainly their speaking points. Yeah, sure. I mean, the NDP and the Greens both want to portray this uh, minority government as working well, that both sides are uh, compromising for the greater good and that they're delivering uh, really good government. I mean, this is the message they want. I think that was the certainly the talking point they wanted during the referendum that we just we just had on whether we're going to switch to a proportional representation voting system. So, you know, that's certainly the talking points that they want. But like we talked about in last week's podcast, though, 
even though that's they talk about that all the time. It, it's the liberals. Neither party will ever cooperate with the liberals. I mean, you know, the ND, the NDP, of course, it's it's there's sort of the great divide. You would never see any cooperation there. But I always thought that it would have been a, an awesome story for Weaver to reach out across and, and do a deal with Wilkinson on something like to deliver ride sharing, for example, that they both claim to want. Even it would not have brought the government down, and it would have it would have been an, an amazing example of cross partisan parties working, laying down their swords and working together. But that, that'll never happen. So we haven't, I, I think what appears to be at this point, at least a natural governing alliance between the NDP and the Green Party, and they want to put the best light on it possible. And the question now is, are they renegotiating or or redeveloping their confidence and supply agreement, which we call CASA? So here's what John Horgan has to say about that. Well, the, the thing is that uh, the Greens are not just about the environment, and Andrew will tell you that as well. So will Sonia, so will Adam, the other two members of their caucus. And when we talk about uh, renegotiating, I think that might have got too much wind in the sails for what it really is. It's about, okay, the world is now different. It's two years since the last election are coming up to it. What issues are on the horizon that we're going to need to work on that we might have disagreements on? And so it's more recalibrating for the future rather than looking backwards at what we have accomplished. We've done a great deal. It was laid out in the CASA how we would get there. And as even though in some of the issues we've talked about, we found differences of opinion, we still managed to hold fast to the views that we put forward when we signed the agreement. And so when we talk about a reboot or a redo, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not with the view of making it more complicated, but to instead to make it more uh, streamlined and say, okay, here are some issues that we're going to see in the in the years ahead. How do we work together on those? And I, I think that's a mature and responsible thing to do at the at the midpoint in, in our mandate or coming up to the midpoint. So it's not a reboot or a redo. It's just kind of an addition to CASA. And you gotta you gotta feel like the NDP have the upper hand in negotiating what to add to the power sharing agreement. Now they have accomplished to their credit most of their election platform. I mean there are some outstanding issues. Ride hailing is not yet here. The renters rebate. Um, you know, it never materialized. But most of the NDP platform is on the way or on almost here. So how do the Greens get any leverage in trying to get issues into the NDP uh, agenda? Well, I think in the last negotiation that led to this agreement that we have, the, the minority government agreement, I thought Horgan and the NDP basically played Weaver like a Stradivarius, basically, you know, like... <laughs> They, they, I, I don't know what Weaver got out of this deal. I mean, there were so many things he could have uh, insisted on in order to uh, give the support to the NDP government and put Horgan in the premier's office, and yet it didn't seem to do it. So, to me, and I think to a lot of people, it ended up looking like a bit of a sucker deal. Uh, the Green Party and Weaver ended up looking a little bit like John Horgan's lapdog here, and I think maybe one of the reasons why. Weaver wants a redo, and we talked about this last week too, was he just wants a better deal that's going to look like he, he uh, is achieving something and he's delivering something for the deal and not being, you know, played played by Horgan, which I think is the perception people may have now. And the other question we asked John Horgan is, what about the idea of a, of a snap election? So what if the NDP in the back rooms, in the war room decide that things look pretty good, polling numbers look good, party's got a lot of money... Um, you know, everyone's going to run again. We've got a line on some good candidates. Our popularity is high. There's money in the budget. Let's let's engineer a way into a quick election. 
jump out with a majority government and have ultimate control here? Here's what John Horgan has to say about that. Well, that's a good question, Rob, and, and not a surprising one, uh, but I haven't given a lot of thought to that either. I, I see what we're doing every day. We had a cabinet meeting today. We addressed a whole ser- series of issues that will make life better for people in the long term. We looked at some of the challenges on the horizon. And, and I'm content to know that we're doing our level best every day to provide good government. And I believe that when I travel around, uh, less than a handful of people have been belligerent to me. And that's not counting social media where they're belligerent all the time. But people, regular people that with the courage to come up and talk to you, only four or five have been you know, aggressive. Not everyone's agreed with me. But just to what every single person has said, I'm surprised at how well you're doing. Keep it up. And I think that that's all you can ask for from the public. And they don't want an election. There's no one clamoring to go to the polls. And I think it would be uh, irresponsible and I think a little bit selfish for me to think otherwise. Uh, Currently, uh, the government's functioning. It's stable. That's all that the public really want. They're getting on with their lives. They don't want chaos and turmoil. They're not seeing that. Uh, They're seeing level-headed people doing level-headed things. And so I don't know why we wouldn't just continue. We're working well with the... with our colleagues in the Green Group. Uh, there are liberals who are very sympathetic and supportive of some of the issues that we've been promoting. I don't need to name people, but uh, I think on balance, uh, British Columbia's in a good place, and I'm going to work hard to keep us there. Of course, we're supposed to have um, scheduled election dates these days, but the, the Premier still has authority to call an election, right? Or yep. at least go to the Lieutenant Governor and ask for an election yeah, if he you could, want. He could, he could come up with an issue yeah. that the Greens don't support. And then engineer a uh, vote that is sure. basically something the government believes makes the legislature unworkable, and off they go. So, John Horgan's saying he doesn't think people want an election. We'll see if that continues on. We are reaching the the m- almost midpoint of a four year cycle for the NDP. So they're going to change from enacting their election promises to trying to figure out how to win the next election, and changing the things that they're going to do. So it'll be interesting to see the shift, I think, in John Horgan and the some of the lines we're getting from the Premier's office there. I think the NDP and Horgan are feeling pretty good about themselves and the position they're in right now. I mean, if you take a look at some of the recent opinion polling, they typically show the NDP in second place and maybe the Liberals slightly ahead. I mean, it kind of goes up and down. Any government typically tends to run a bit behind the opposition in most polls. But uh, I think that said, the NDP are, are pleased the way this has gone. Uh, they've got the budget balance. The economy's doing pretty good. They've done some stuff that has made un- people unhappy, but they've done other things that have that have gone over pretty well. And you certainly don't see uh, a major public backlash, it appears, against this government. Horgan said to me the other day in my own sit-down with him, he said, I don't see anybody with pitchforks out there <laughs> on the front lawn. So, And he said he also said to me, a lot. Of, I've had a lot of people come up to me in the supermarket or whatever, and they'll say, you know, I didn't vote for you. But I think you're doing an okay job. And Horgan's got to love hearing that, that even mm-hmm. if people didn't vote for him, he's not running a government that's scaring them. He's not running a government that's too radical or left-wing, despite the fact that that's the way Wilkinson wants to frame it. And they feel pretty good about it. And I think when they look at the performance of a guy like liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, they're thinking, you know, this guy is not exactly lighting the world on fire either. They, the, the Lib- I think they were quite pleased that the liberals put in a new leader who was around through a lot of that government there for 16 years, and they can point to point a finger at him and say, this is the guy who messed up ICBC. This is the guy who failed to give you a ride hailing. This is the guy who hasn't built your schools and hospitals or the reason why your kid's in a portable. It was the, the, you know, that, it was the previous government's fault. So I think overall, Horgan, at the end of this year, pretty happy. 
Yeah, I think the NDP have at least acknowledged... They've done what the Liberals did not do in the last election. They have acknowledged that the housing situation is problematic for people. The Liberals kind of twisted themselves into pretzels to tell you that you should probably go buy a home and mission and then slowly work your way back in over 40 years or just get get your head around the idea you can only afford an apartment or a condo. And, and the NDP at least acknowledged that it's a problem. They acknowledged that child care affordability is a problem. Whether they can fulfill on their election promises is a question that they may end up having to grapple with in term two, depending on how things go for them. But they, I think there's still a grace period in, in the public's mind that at least they are trying to do yeah. some things that the Liberals got so obsessed with counting their pennies in the budget that they were unable to grasp the public's unhappiness with the fact that they weren't spending some of those pennies. And so the yeah. New Democrats still have, I think it's why we've seen their, sometimes it's called the honeymoon period. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's what it is here, but there's a grace period for John Horgan to continue to say, we can't fix this overnight, but we're trying. And I think the public that's registering with them. It's a very effective argument to point back at a, a previous government, especially one that was unpopular at the end of its term, and say, remember that we inherited this mess. We are cleaning up something that we didn't mess up. The other guys did. And a, and a good example of it is ICBC, right, where right. they just announced a 6.3% rate hike. What's that, double the rate of inflation? People are sick and tired of, of paying a lot of money for for their auto insurance, and they see how much money ICBC is lo- They're losing over $3 million a day, believe it or not, at ICBC. And yet the NDP, I think, can still effectively point a finger at a guy like Wilkinson and the Liberals and say, listen, we know this is a difficult stuff, but don't blame us. These guys screwed it up over here. And um, that's an effective argument. But you know what? There's a bit of a law of diminishing returns on this kind of stuff, because the farther away that you get from the previous government and the longer a governing record you have for your own party, it starts to wear thin on the public when you keep pointing the finger back at the other guys. So I think right now it's an effective argument for them. But uh, two or three, maybe a couple of years from now, if we go a full term in this government, I don't know if it stands up as much. One of the other, I think, keys to the NDP's success in the last year has been John Horgan. When you yep. put John Horgan yep. up against Andrew Wilkinson, it has so far not been a match at all. Horgan is, uh, you know, excelling, I think, in the job as premier. And, and we know from watching John Horgan in opposition, watching him during the election, he wrestled with this evolution from Hulk Horgan, angry John, yeah. um, to the guy that he is now, which has no trace of that whatsoever. He just it seems to, he actually seems to be enjoying the job. And when you hit him with all the questions that used to make him blow his top in opposition, he just kind of smiles and kind of walks his way through it, talks his way through it. I, I think in question period, he is the the minister of defense, as some people have nicknamed him, because he pops up and defends some of his less impressive cabinet ministers. And let's be clear, there are some very unimpressive cabinet ministers in this NDP. There are some very good ones, and there are some real duds. And John Horgan is able to pop up and protect them from attacks on their record as well. And I think he's the single most effective uh, asset for the New Democrats. And you mm. need that when when your premier is driving the ship. Um, he that's yeah. That's a good place to be in. I think that's a really good point, Rob. And I, I think he's exceeded expectations in a lot of ways. Do you remember when he ran for the leadership of the NDP? Remember he ran for it once and he lost mm-hmm. to Carol James. And then the next and then the next go around, he, he said he wasn't going to run again. Yeah. Remember he said, oh, I think it's time for a younger person. He, he, I, I think, think his line was, I want to I be free to say stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he right. couldn't he, do that as leader. He didn't want to do it. And uh, nobody else really wanted it. 
right. and he, he ended up getting pretty much the job by default. And a lot of people were thinking, and I got to say, I'm, I'm, myself among them, were thinking like, this guy is kind of old. Um, he's got a temper problem. Uh, I don't know. He's kind of old school NDP. Is this really going to be an effective leader for, for this party? Well, guess what? He ran a great election campaign. And I remember during that election campaign, in about the middle of it, I started being on his bus for a few days thinking, like, this guy is kind of winning people over here. Mm-hmm. And so I think he, this is a guy who's feeling very confident. Um, I'm thinking that he's thinking he can win another election here. I think, I think that's what he's got in the back of his mind. I think he's looking at a guy like Andrew Wilkinson and go, I think I can beat this guy. It's, I, I think he's... His single biggest weapon right now is his authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the proportional representation TV debate, the liberals were making fun of him because of, remember those comments that, you, you know, yeah, if you're woke, you'd know that PR is lit. And yeah, all. yeah. Horgan has this kind of dad joke thing. That the he dad does. joke, yeah. But that's actually John Horgan. And I, I think people who look at the kind of awkward, weird, dumb jokes of John Horgan as a liability are missing the strength in being comfortable in your own skin in politics. And all yeah. you have to do is ask Adrian Dix in 2013 about trying to do a community theater production of a man named Adrian Dix and reinvent yourself on the fly in an election as Mr. Positive. It, people see through it. And work. John Horgan that you see now is John Horgan. Yeah. And there's weird yeah. jokes and the kind of smiling, always trying to please people stuff. That is that is John Horgan. And Andrew Wilkinson, the liberal leader's problem is going to be, how does he portray authentic Andrew Wilkinson right. up against this juggernaut that is authentic John Horgan? And Andrew Wilkinson's going to have to decide if he puts on a flannel shirt and gets a hunting rifle and goes out there and reinvents himself or grabs a guitar or a skateboard and starts, you know, um, or he's just authentic Andrew Wilkinson, the doctor and lawyer and smartest guy in the room. And, you know, so it's the personality part of of politics here is fascinating. And I think John Horgan is excelling in being Horgan. And that's a very powerful place to be as a political leader. Could all change tomorrow, though. This is this is British. <laughs> That's why club. our podcast is weekly in yeah. case something crazy changes. Although we are going to take a couple weeks here, allow you to digest your turkey. We're going to be back, I think, in maybe one two weeks in early January, getting ready for Smitty 2019 budgets and all sorts of other things are going to be happening before okay. you know it. So. Sounds good. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk to you then, and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Make sure you subscribe. We'll see you in 2019.